Peace of the Lord be with you, church. It's my joy, my privilege to be here this morning. Um, I brought a few books as well to sell. I think there are about 11 topics behind there. And some of these books are cheaper than outside, you know, because in, in, uh, in, our, in our office we, we buy in bulk, so we, we get it much cheaper. Okay, so um, I'm not here to sell books, but I'm just highlighting it there. It's there at the back there. I want to look at Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning. I was thinking Habakkuk has three chapters. Okay, so this time I'm here, I do chapter 1. The next time I come, which I'm not sure when, I'll do chapter 2. And then the third time when I come, I do chapter 3. Is that okay with you? Okay. All right. So you spend some time reading it, studying it, then I will be able to do some exposition based on that. Okay. So today we look at Habakkuk chapter 1. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you for your word that we have read together. Our prayer, God, is that even as we turn to you, turn to your word, God, that you will instruct our hearts. You speak to us. You minister to our lives. That we may hear your word as a church together, as families, and as individuals. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You know, we, we, we all have some tough questions within us, and we all have tough questions to ask God. I, I read some time ago, it seemed there was this man, he was sitting under a very large tree, and looking up at the tree, he saw some very tiny nuts growing, you know, huge tree, tiny nuts. But not too far from there, he saw a watermelon growing on the ground, you know, from small plants. And so he seems he looked up again as if like he's talking to God and said, God, I don't understand your ways, you know. Huge tree, small nuts. Small plant, big melon. And it seemed just as he had finished saying that, a small nut fell on his head. And he see me again, looked up and said, thank God, that was not a melon. <laughs> see, like that man, and like the rest of us, Habakkuk the prophet, he too had some tough questions, which he turned, looked at God, and asked God those questions. Now, there's not much known about Habakkuk. And I'm, let, let me just give you a little bit of introduction about him. Now, you've got to remember this, huh? because when I come for chapter 2, I'm not going to repeat all these things. Okay, you better take down notes. Okay. But the, the thing is, we do not know much about Habakkuk. He's probably from Judah, that is a southern kingdom of Israel. And it is uh, said that possibly he, he, he prophesied during King Jehoiakim's time, that's about 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the, the background to it is that probably Nebuchadnezzar, the, the Babylonian king, is uh, triumphing elsewhere. You know, he, he's, uh, the, the, the Babylonian army is marching, they are conquering nations and so on. And so that's the backdrop to, 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 to chapter 
uh, to, to the book of Habakkuk. You need to remember that. You know, there, there's, a there, there's a very powerful nation, Babylon, or here uh, in, in verse 6, it is referred to as the Chaldeans. You know, a very powerful nation has arisen and they are conquering nations around them. And, and even as they were triumphing, Habakkuk is speaking to God. Habakkuk was actually tormented with what he saw taking place in Judah itself. You see, evil was very, very apparent. Evil was very obvious. And, and even as he looked at the people of Israel, the, of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and he saw so much of evil around him, it appeared to, to the prophet, it appeared to him as if like God was tolerating evil, you know. And, and so he's crying out to God, he's saying, God, how long? How long will you tolerate evil? You see, there, there's a very marked difference between this prophetic book and all other prophetic books. Normally we find that most of the prophets, they would hear the voice of God and come and speak to the people, what God is saying to the people. But the book of Habakkuk is different because it, it goes the other way around. Habakkuk, the prophet, is listening to the people, their complaints, their doubts, their anxieties, and all of that, and then he brings it to God. Are you following me? All prophets speak the word of God to the people. Prophet Habakkuk speaks the concerns of the people to God. Verses 1 to 4, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. Meaning to say, justice seems to be like the loser. The law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth, the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Justice just don't seem to happen. And so Habakkuk begins his complaints or his questions not from a point of distrust. You, you must remember this. He's not just simply complaining for the sake of complaint, and, and his complaint is not arising from disbelief. There's a lot of faith in him. There's a lot of faith in God. And so he begins with faith, but it is a questioning faith. He acknowledges that only God can save the people. And really, that is the starting point. Only God can save the people. And so all of Habakkuk's questions arise from that conviction. God is able to save. Only he can save. But he still has a question. But why does God not save? And so Habakkuk, complains so much uh, about so much of wrongs that are taking place, which to him seems like 
God is just overlooking all these uh, the, the wrongs, the sins, the evil that is all around. But Habakkuk is also aware that God is such a holy God. So that, that poses further challenge to him. God is such a holy God. Not if God is such a holy God, you know, no, no. That, that, that's not his point. Since God is a holy God, how is it that he seemed to be turning a blind eye to all the evil that seemed to be taking place? Why is God doing nothing about all of that? Why is God slow to act? Why is he not punishing the wicked when in actual fact God can? We have these questions, right? Almost every day you read the newspaper and you see some of these guys just going in and out of courtrooms and so on and we think how long these fellows are going to walk in and out, walk in and out and go in smiling, come out smiling even bigger. Broader smiles. God, what's going on here? Why is he not punishing the wicked when in actual fact God can? And another thing we need to note is this in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. Who are the wicked? Who are the wicked that Habakkuk is referring to? Who are those who have thrown away God's law? Who are those that he's talking about in verses 1 to 4? O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? You will not hear or, or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly uh, at wrong? Destruction, violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. Wicked surround the righteous. Justice goes forth perverted. Who is he talking about? Who are the wicked who have thrown away the laws of God? The Israelite people. He's not talking about the Babylonians. He's referring to, the prophet is referring to the Israelite people themselves. And what have they broken or what have they transgressed? They've broken the law of God. They've broken the Torah, the laws of God. The Israelite people, God's people, they have broken God's law and God seemed to be so silent. What's going on? And so Habakkuk questions or complains about the injustice and the wickedness on the part of the people of God. And this complaint of Habakkuk you know, is, is, is retained here in, in, in the Bible. I think among other reasons is for us to read, to learn that God, God allows questions. God allows complaints. You know, sometimes we think that we cannot ask God anything, you know, who says so? We can ask God questions. We have a lot of questions. I'm sure you have a lot of questions, right? No, you don't have. You're only thinking about Chinese New Year. 
Your only question is how much Ang Pao you're going to get or how much you're going to give. We all have questions. You know, and, and, and I often say to people in, in different contexts, I say to them that we are allowed to ask questions and I normally say that God is not offended by our question. You know, because some of us, we are afraid to articulate our questions to God. God, why this or why that? It's okay. God is not offended by our questions. The fact that God entertains these complaints from the prophets shows that God is first and foremost concerned about the conduct of God's people. You know, the prophet is going complaining about the people of God to God. And there's another reason why this, quest, this, 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 this book and these questions are retained in the Bible. To show us that you know, God is concerned about the conduct of God's people. We who know more, we should be more accountable. We who know more, we must live better than others. You know, we often ask the government, our government agencies or private companies to maintain their uh, ethical and moral standards. But then, even as we ask those around us to maintain those ethical moral standards, do we in the church maintain those ethical moral standards? Do we as Christian people adhere to such standards? What right have we got to ask others if we ourselves do not keep to those standards given to us in the scripture? You know, generally in our churches now, we hear Christians maintain that we cannot speak on any issue pertaining to the conduct of any individual. They say, oh, cannot. About this person, about that person, this thing that's going on, that thing that's going on wrong, oh, cannot, cannot, cannot speak about all that. That's what we seem to be maintaining. You know, when I was elected president for the first time uh, in the end of 2012, a few weeks after I got into my office in PJ, my school teacher, the one who taught me English and history in Form 4 and Form 5, came by the office. Before she could even sit down, she looked at me and she said, Jaya, let me tell you this. If ever I hear that you are doing some no good thing, I will be the first to come and confront you. I will be the first to come and point out to you because I'm not a person who likes to talk behind people's backs. And trust me, she is like that. So she said to me, I'll be the first to come and confront you. So I said, please do. I, I heartily agree that I need people like that. But you see, if we just surround ourselves with people who tell us what we like to hear or affirm us in our wrongs, there's no hope for us. People who point out our mistakes to us do huge favor to us. We may not like it, but they do huge favor to us. Spare us from going the wrong way. So it is not helpful to surround ourselves with people who just say what we want to hear. It doesn't help 
at all because we will end up going more and more into our wrong, in the wrong directions. So mistakes, sins, wrongdoings must be pointed out in love, no doubt, in love. Israel had, or Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, they had enough people to point out their mistakes and sins, but they would not listen. Prophet after prophet sent by God would speak to the people, but they would not listen. They would not repent. So they had just gone further and further into sin that God would actually send judgment upon them. So Judah and Israel as a whole, who knew the law of God, they would not repent. They who knew God himself, they had turned away from God. And so the prophet asked God, what is taking you so long to judge Judah? What is taking you so long to judge Israel as a whole? That's one question. A question that you and I often struggle with. Why the wicked continue to be wicked and God don't seem to be doing anything at all? Even as he raises those questions, God comes to the prophet and God speaks to him. God answers him. Verses 5 to 11. Look among the nations, and, and this is God's word to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Their dreaded and fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men who, whose own might is their God. A powerful nation I'm raising up, God is saying. And the way they come and swiftly take nations is just astounding. It's just so scary. But God says that I am the one who is raising this nation of the Babylonians. And they have already begun their work. And they are the ones that I am going to use to bring judgment upon Judah. They're a secular nation. They do not know God. They do not know the God of Israel. But God says, I'm going to use them. I'm going to mobilize them. Very ruthless people, ruthless forces. But I'm going to mobilize them. I'm going to use them. They don't observe my, my, my values, God is saying. 
their dreaded and fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. What they do is justice to them, and they don't care who they trample upon. But that's the nation I'm going to use to bring judgment upon Judah. They are far away from Judah, but I'm going to bring them nevertheless. They're powerful horses. They run faster than the leopards. I'm going to bring them. To bring them to punish Judah. Verses 9 and 10. Your God is saying that he can work through secular powers. Those who do not know God, God can still use them. He can use anyone, not only believers. God can use unbelievers also. Unbelievers can be tools in the hands of God to bring judgment. Verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. See, Habakkuk is complaining that God is doing nothing about the wicked in Judah. The people of God are wicked. It seems like God is not doing anything. But God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm actually doing something. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Those ruthless pagans. I'm going to use them. I'm going to bring them to chastise Judah. I'm going to bring them to bring judgment upon my own people. You see, when we don't judge among ourselves, then God will send unbelievers to judge us. Habakkuk was terrified. Habakkuk was puzzled. You see, Judah went wholesale into sin. They broke the laws of God in any way which they liked because they lacked the fear of God. They had no fear of God at all within them. And so they just went and broke every law that they could think of. Because they thought, you know, God will not do anything. They have no fear of God. And God is saying to them, you don't fear me. I'm going to send someone you will fear. And it seems to me, you know, as I travel all over and I look at all that is going on, I, I'm, I'm speaking very generally, all that is going on in churches, seems to me, if you ask me, what is really the, the, what is the thing that the church is really lacking? It's not money. You don't worry about this, this, this thing that, 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 that uh, our brother Ahong came and told you. Don't worry about that. You know, because our church has got a lot of money. If you run out of it, you let me know. Yeah. And if others run out, out of it, I will let you know. Because you got a lot of money. Right. I, I'm not worried about money, really, really. If you ask me what's the one thing that is lacking in our churches, without hesitation, I'll say to you, it is the fear of God. It is the fear of God. We don't fear God. Some, I, I cannot remember, maybe four years ago, five years ago, I was reading a book, I cannot remember the title, I cannot remember the author, nothing. But I remember one thing in that book. There's this illustration given in that book. I, I'm telling it to you without even looking at the book because I, I don't know where to find it now. 
Okay. Uh, I'm sure I have the book, but I, I've forgotten the title. In that book, there's this illustration given about this great evangelist, you know, I mean, uh, at least very renowned evangelist, televangelist, you know, the American televangelist. has uh, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million people listening to him in, in his uh, uh, television broadcast and so on. He had done a lot of wrong and it had come to be found, they had found out about it and the law has caught up with him. This, this Christian evangelist was sent to prison in America. Somebody else had gone to visit him and when they've gone to visit him, it seems the person asked him, I think it was a pastor, uh, went to see this evangelist, well-known evangelist in the prison. And the pastor asked him, it seems, you know, you know, when you did all these that were clearly wrong, was there no love of God in you? You, you, you didn't love God. You know, it appears like you didn't love God and you just went ahead and did all of these things. Did you not love God? And it seems the evangelist who had fallen from grace in prison, it seems he turned around and he said, no, 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 no. It is not that I don't love God. I loved God all the way through. Even when I did all these wrongs, I loved God all the way through. But what was not in me was the fear of God. Now, of course, I know what you are thinking. He didn't love God, <laughs> right? Uh, at least some of you will later on tell me that I think so. You know, I, I have difficulty believing that he loved God and he did all of that. But I agree with him with this fact, that there was no fear of God within him. He just thought that he could preach any way he liked, and yet lived any other way that he liked. The fear of God. God was saying to the people of Judah, since you do not fear me, then I will send a nation very powerful who is dreaded by all others. And the Babylonian army was a ruthless army. When we don't fear God, we will end up fearing something else. And then God goes on, we see in verses 12 to 17, uh, the, the, Habakkuk, uh, the, the prophet goes to God and, and further says things. In verse 12 he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You know what, what God, this is where it helps us to see the faith in Habakkuk that is really intact. 
He's hearing things that are really shocking to him. You know, that God is going to use this ruthless nation to bring judgment upon Judah. But his faith is still intact. He says, oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. Absolutely. Continues to trust in God. And, and he goes on to say, we shall not die. What he's saying is that, God, as much as you would send judgment upon Judah, but you are not doing it to wipe us out. You are not doing it to destroy us completely. You are going to send this judgment upon us. We will continue to trust in you. You will still pour your blessings upon us when we would repent. All of that is there. But Habakkuk is still shocked by what God is saying to him. God was going to use an evil regime to punish Judah. But like I said, his faith is still intact. He doesn't understand what God is doing. How could God do this? But his faith is intact. And so he continues to interact with God. Basically, he's saying this to God. God, Judah is wicked. But Judah is less wicked than the Babylonians. See, this is how we comfort ourselves normally. You, know. you and I, we also do that. I'm not so bad as that fellow. Correct or not? Both of you? I'm not as bad as the other guy. I only took 2.6 ringgit. The guy took 2.6 billion ringgit. So that's supposed to make me a better person. And so Habakkuk is saying, yeah, we are wicked. No, he, he's the one who complained you know, in verses 1 to 4, saying all kinds of things, that they've broken the law and all of those kind of things, you know. And then now he says, but we are still better than the Babylonians, you know. You see, some of us, we are righteous only in comparison to those more wicked. We are less wicked. No? We are less wicked. Which reminds me, I must tell you this story. There were two brothers, bad guys, really bad guys. Everybody in town knew that they were really bad guys, up to no good, ruthless people as well. They cheated here, done this, done that, all kind of things. There was an older brother, there was a younger brother. One day the younger brother died. The older brother went from church to church trying to get a pastor to do the funeral, but no pastor wanted to do the funeral. Not only, be, not, I mean, not even because they were so bad, but because the older brother was laying a condition. The older brother is him approached pastors and said, you can say whatever you want to say in the funeral, I really don't care, but whatever you say or don't say, I want you to say, this man was a saint. How to say this man was a saint? Everybody in town knew these guys were rascals. You know? And if you would do that, you would just say that. I'll give a lot of money to the church. But no pastor wanted to do that. How to go and say this man was a saint? But isn't finally he managed to find a pastor. Maybe the church had 200 over 1,000 deficit or what, I do not know, but <laughs> managed to find a pastor. And he seems, the pastor said, no problem, I'll do it. You want me to say this? I can say it. And so the word had gone out, this pastor was taking the funeral. 
and he's going to say this man was a saint so because of that people just thronged into the church for the funeral service not to uh, give some final respects or whatever and so just to see how the pastor is going to handle this so he seems as he was preaching he seemed the pastor just went on to just openly tell everybody the kind of things that this guy the diseased has done you know this guy has cheated people he has squandered people of money he has done this and done that of course all these were common knowledge and so he seemed he just went on like that but he went on to say but compared to his older brother this man was a saint I'm glad you laughed heartily. Okay. How can a more wicked nation be used by God to punish a less wicked nation? Habakkuk struggles with this question. Can a holy God use evil purposes, evil ways? But slowly even as habakkuk struggles with these questions within him and, and brings it to god he struggles with, with the questions in the presence of god you know he comes to this understanding he points out to god you know god these these babylonians they are very very wicked they're almost like he uses this analogy of like like fishermen you know just throwing their, their they're just casting their net into the sea and and just uh, pulling out those nets and they have a huge catch you know and the, the the babylonians seem to be able to do this you know they are just like throwing their nets catching a whole lot of people being wicked to them slaughtering them and all of that and then they just move on they are like those wicked fishermen they are they don't know the works of god they don't not they do not know god they do not know the works of god you know but they are just evil in the way that they go around catching things as it were catching people as it were but i think what slowly dawns upon habakkuk is this while the net is cast by the babylonians but the one who is drawing the fish as it were into the net is god himself if they seem to have a huge catch the babylonians it's because god is drawing the fish in so it's more and more apparent to habakkuk god has a hand in this and the judgment of god is coming through the Chaldeans the Babylonians they do not know the works of god they do not know god but god is using them you see god is not resorting to evil ways but when we insist on traveling on the wicked path god might just step aside and say okay go ahead and god might allow the unrighteous people more wicked than us 
to overtake us or even overpower us. And what we need to be convinced of is this, that no matter who God uses to bring that judgment, ultimately, judgment is from God. When we sin, we are judged by God. It took Habakkuk a while to realize that in actual fact, the punishment is not from the Babylonians, it was from God. So Habakkuk was disturbed, of course. In summary, let me say this to you. Habakkuk was disturbed by two things. Number one, how long is God going to allow wickedness to go on? That's his one question. The second is this. How can a more evil nation be used by God to punish a less evil nation? The first question from verse 2. The second question from verse 17. We must learn from this passage. You know, there's, there's plenty to learn from the book. Like I said, when I come next, it's chapter 2. But we must learn from this passage that God is not offended by our questions. He allows questions. He even allows complaints, if you can put it that way. You, you can bring all your questions to God. You don't have to struggle with these questions alone as if God doesn't uh, know or God doesn't care or God doesn't understand or, or that God is not bothered. No, you, you can bring all of those questions to God. But ask those questions sincerely, like Habakkuk did. Not arrogantly. Habakkuk is not coming to God arrogantly. He's coming sincerely. He's coming with faith. He's not coming with disbelief. And he's coming wanting to know the answers. You know, because sometimes we ask God a question, but we don't wait for the answer. But Habakkuk waits for the answer. And, and, and that will lead us to chapter 2. I cannot go so far. But this Habakkuk knows. He has come to the right source. God himself. Let me say this in parting. If you're an earnest inquirer, if you're sincere with your questions, God will answer you. If you're earnest inquirer, sincere with your questions, no matter what those questions, based on chapter 1, I assure you, I promise you, God will give you those answers. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We have this assurance. No matter what goes wrong around us, you are on the throne. You're absolutely in control. Nothing comes to us without your expressed permission. Our prayer this morning, God, is that we may be found 
in the center of your will. That we may be found, not just trying to be people a little bit better than others, but that we may live in a manner that is pleasing to you. That we may live in a manner that brings glory and honor to your name. Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. We do not know all that is in store for us in the new year, the lunar new year that we are getting ready to celebrate. But God, we know our lives are in your hands. The life of this nation is in your hands. Although we see so much of wickedness around us, but the life of this nation is in your hands. All that you do will be good and right. All that you do will be to draw us closer to yourself. We pray you have mercy upon us, upon our loved ones, upon our church here, upon the nation as a whole. Bless us into a new year. Help us that the past that is not right, that is not good, even in our own lives, may be a thing of the past, that we may live righteously for you. I pray your blessing upon every person here, Lord. You know their heart's cries, you know their needs. I pray your blessing upon them. That they may grow in your knowledge, in your love, in your fear, in Jesus' name, amen.